Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word and turn to John chapter 19. The Gospel of John, chapter 19, at 31. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. Then the Jews, because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may also believe. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture. Not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission, so he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus, bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the custom, burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. It's a common misconception that Christianity only cares about souls or that they believe that rather that the body is unimportant, that perhaps the body is best, you know, the body is best described as a cage for the soul. Augustine, early in his theological writings, held that the perspective that the body was a snare, that the body was a cage of the soul, or that the body was even a slave of the soul. Later, he would think of the soul and the body as more unified, concluding that the body was the spouse of the soul. Chapter 32 of our standards of our uh, Westminster Confession of Faith, which is entitled Of the State of Men After Death and of the Resurrection of the Dead, talks about the body and the soul. 
and their distinctness, yet their union. So listen to what it says. The bodies of men, now, and also personalize this, right? I, this is, I don't want to be a, a, a dry theological, you know, saltine cracker. You have a body, you have a soul, and one day when you die, your soul will leave your body, okay? That is, that is going to happen to you. So listen to this with that in mind. The bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption. Our bodies go into the grave, they decay. But their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal subsistence, immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into the highest heavens, where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. And the souls of the wicked are cast into hell, where they remain in torments and utter darkness, reserved for the great day, besides these two places for souls separated from their bodies, the scripture acknowledges none. Two, at the last day, such as are found alive shall not die, but be changed, and the dead shall be raised up. Listen to this. The dead that were in the grave shall be raised up with the self-same bodies. Same bodies they had, the self-same bodies. And none other, although, although those bodies will have different qualities, which shall be united again to their souls forever. The bodies of the unjust shall, by the power of Christ, be raised to dishonor, the bodies of the just by his Spirit unto honor, and be made conformable to his own glorious body. Okay, do, so do we get this, this paradigm that we, we are made in the womb by God, knit together in our mother's womb. We are ensouled bodies, right? We are body and soul. We die, the body and the soul are separated. The soul either goes to hell or to heaven, right? And then the judgment comes, the bodies are raised the self-same body that we were given in our mother's womb is raised, but with different qualities, and the soul and the body come back together, and that is how we will live forever. The body doesn't seem very superfluous in that paradigm, right? It's body everywhere. The body's so important. But I wanted to put that theology in your heads this morning because in this passage we're looking at, we are seeing how the body of the, our Savior, the body of the Son of God, the body of, of our dear Lord Jesus, we're seeing how His body was treated. We learn that Jesus' body was not left on the cross, but it was taken down because it was the Jewish day of preparation. The soldiers then, seeing that Jesus was already dead, did not do any further damage to his body. I mean, why do that? Why, why wouldn't they just say, it doesn't matter, let's just break his legs? Well, because he was dead. 
He was dead, and to desecrate a dead body is a bad thing to do. Even those Roman soldiers understood that. What they did in breaking the legs was to hasten death. Sort of a a mercy to somebody who had been crucified. Well, Jesus was already dead, and so no, they would not do that. Um, So the soldiers did not um, break his legs. They did not hasten his death. He was already dead. They did, though, puncture his side, out of which flowed water and blood. Then Joseph of Arimathea, here's this rich man, a follower of Jesus, but a hidden follower because he was afraid of the Jews suddenly gets some boldness, and he goes and he inquires with Pilate. And Pilate at this point is probably, you know, he's wanting to watch Netflix and check out. Right, but Pilate, he goes, Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate and says, give me the body of Christ. Pilate, Pilate does it. Right, gives this rich man, we assume the tomb is that of Joseph of Arimathea, right, that he's put in later. But they ask, he asked Pilate if he could take away the body of Christ. And then Nicodemus, that Pharisee, you remember, who defended Christ earlier, treated the body of Christ with special care, smearing the body with spices, wrapping the body in linen wrappings. And then Joseph and Nicodemus together take the body of Christ and put it into the tomb. Put Jesus in the ground. They bury him. Notice they bury him. They do not burn him. Okay? It's going to be one of the main points I'm making this morning. They bury his body. They do not burn his body. Now, here's what I want you to understand. We care for the bodies of those who die because those bodies are our loved ones. They will be raised with the self-same body, right? And so we don't talk about, you know, at a funeral, that body is your loved one. They are not just soul. They are soul and body in a strange separation, a separation that like, like magnets pulling toward one another, want to get back together, that body and that soul. The body is not just to be discarded and disregarded or destroyed at death. When we die, our souls leave the body and we live in this unnatural intermediate state without bodies, but those bodies are indeed us. Your consciousness isn't there, thankfully. It's with your soul. But that body is you, right? That self-same body will be raised from the dead and our souls will return to it, to us. Our souls will return to us. Though as the Westminster Shorter, or the, the Catechism says, with different qualities. It will be a glorified body, a transformed, reconstituted, sinless, right? body, but nonetheless, truly the body that God fashioned for you in your mother's womb. Now, let me take you through some passages. Genesis. 
Genesis 23:19 says this. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field at Machpelah, facing Mamre, which is in Hebron in the land of Canaan. Then we skip to 25, 9 and 10, and it says, And then his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him, Abraham, in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephraim, the son of Zohar, the Hittite, facing Mamre. The field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Seth, there Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. We skip forward, 35, 19, and it says, So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And then 49, 31, we read, There they buried Abraham and his wife Sarah, there they buried Isaac and his wife Rebekah, and there I buried Leah. Okay, so the patriarchs were buried. Moses. What about Moses? What do you know about Moses' death? Well, interestingly enough, Moses was not burned, right? But if we go to Deuteronomy 34, 5 and 6, listen to this. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, And he, God, buried him in the valley and in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his burial place to this day. So God buried Moses. Right? The dead kings of Israel were buried, right? We, we, get, we could go through all the kings, of, and it says that they slept with their fathers. Their fathers were placed in the ground. They were placed in the ground next to their fathers. So all the kings of Israel were, were buried. The burning of the dead, on the other hand, is repeat, repeatedly described in the Old Testament as a curse. A desecration of the body. An intentional desecration of the body, right? We could go um, Judges, let's see, 15.6, then the Philistines said, who did this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timonite, because he took his wife and gave her to his companion. So the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Cursed by the Philistines, right? Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 to 23. If a man has committed a sin worthy of death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day. For he who is hanged is accursed of God, so that you do not defile your land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. So that body not being buried becomes a curse to the land. And on and on we could go through scriptures that talk about the burning of the dead being described as a curse. And then John the Baptist's body. What did they do with John the Baptist? You remember the terrible circumstances surrounding John the Baptist's death? Horrible. 
But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Having been prompted by her mother, she said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. Although he was grieved, the king commanded it be given because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And then what did, the, what did his disciples do? His disciples came and took away the body and buried it. And then they went straight to Jesus to tell him what had happened. And so, and then we, we could go to the example of Stephen, right? Stephen being stoned by the leaders of Israel, but after his body is just racked by, by all the weight of those stones, he then is, is buried, okay? Now, but in our passage is in John 19, This is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the body of the Son of God. If nothing else was in Scripture, we would be learning here what to do with the bodies of those who die. It's so significant, right? And Jesus' death is so significant that this is sort of ground zero of, of being informed about what to do with our loved ones when they die. And the tender care of the body of Jesus by Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea is an irrefutable argument that the burial of bodies is a Christian confession of faith. Which is to say that the burning of the body at death is not a Christian testimony. Okay? It is not a Christian testimony. It is not proper treatment of your loved ones. It is not a proper treatment of them, right? In fact, it should be understood from Scripture that that to burn the bodies of our loved ones is to disparage our loved ones, to curse them upon their death. And this becomes clear when we look at the testimony of the apostles in the early church following Jesus' burial and resurrection. Think of what is the Christian sacrament of baptism called? What does the Apostle Paul call it? A burial in solidarity with the Lord's death and burial. So even the symbols that we use in Scripture are meant to symbolize burial. The Apostle Paul declared the burial of our Lord as a matter of first importance of the Christian church. Listen to this. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. He's delivering of what's first importance, and in that he says Jesus was buried. In the 15th chapter of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians, there's an extended teaching on, you remember, the resurrection of the body, in which burial is spoken of as what? Remember? The sowing of a seed. The sowing of seeds. That God will raise, right? The body of the Christian is a sown seed to eternal life. 
Um, the Apostle Paul says, but someone will say, how are the dead raised and with what kind of body do they come? You fool, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor, right? It is sown and it decays. It's sown and it's put in the ground, right? It's sown and it decays. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So, Thus, the burial of Jesus is one of the essential statements of, of faith contained in the Apostles' Creed through which Christians have confessed our faith over 2,000 years, right? He was crucified, dead, and buried. Burial has always been the practice of Christians testifying to God, our Creator, who made us and our bodies. Thus, the bodies of the dead are precious. Our bodies are us. Christians bury their sons and daughters. Christians bury their brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers, confessing through those burials, their sure and certain hope in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ and thus all who die in him. And so through burial, we proclaim our love for the dead and our faith in the resurrection of the body. We, in a sense, declare the strangeness of this intermediate state Right And look to the wonderful restoration of soul and body on the last day. Now, to return to this, this scene at the cross, this history that has been given to us by God. You'll remember the last words from the Son of God on the cross were what? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Does that indicate that the soul of Jesus left his body? Just as ours does. Well, yes, of course. I mean, he was a man, right? He was fully man. And men are composed most necessarily of body and soul. It wouldn't be man if it wasn't that. The, uh, again, the shorter catechism, Christ the Son of God became man by taking to himself a true body and a reasonable soul, body-soul, right? Being conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary and born of her yet without sin. And so now the mind begins to boggle, right? This is like Trinitarian theology that none of us can wrap our heads around, the Son of God left heaven without continuing to fill heaven where he was, when he was incarnated. So he comes down and takes on the flesh, but he's God. And he fills heaven, but he leaves heaven. Right? The Son of, the Son of God took to himself human flesh and soul while not ceasing to be fully God. And then in his death, his human soul left his human body while he subsisted in the eternal Godhead. 
These are mysteries that are too great, you know, for the human mind here, but that is what we should expect when God acts. We are his creatures, and it would be silly if we understood all of his works. These are works we couldn't possibly comprehend. So where did the soul of Christ go? The soul of Christ go went to his Father. It will be the same for those who die in Christ upon their deaths. Where did the body of Christ go? Into the tomb. He was buried. Now, did you know that in the early church, there was a heretical group called the Docetists? And they denied that Jesus died on the cross. They, but they, they really denied that Jesus had a body at all. Right? He just appeared to have a body, right? And so they just deny that entirely. It's not a real human body. Why did they do that? Because they made the error of calling all matter evil and all spirit good. And that's what we have a tendency to do today. All matter is evil, all spirit is good. So Jesus was, in the mind of the docetists, too good to be flesh. And John counters that very heresy in his first letter. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. And so Jesus, truly man, truly God, his death confirmed by the piercing of his side and the flow of water and blood, confirms his humanity. His resurrection then declared him the Son of God with power. He really died. The God-man died. The, his soul left his body he laid down his life. Really and truly, he died. Have you thought about this? Do you think about this? Do you wonder? Have you wondered at the incarnation when deity took on human flesh? When the Creator entered into His own canvas, have you wondered at, at Jesus, the God-man, living 30 years on earth, having never once sinned? It's inconceivable. Have you wondered at your sins being placed upon the head of Christ as He suffered on the cross? Do you wonder about it? Do you wonder at the, the voluntary death of Jesus Christ, the one who would not have died? having not had the stain of Adam's sin on his human nature? Have you wondered at the weakness of death in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Have you wondered at the mercy of God in all of these things, right? All of these works. This is the Christian faith. This is what we believe has happened and is happening have you contemplated the kindness of 
the, the God who created all things to do all these glorious things to make a way for you to enter into heaven. Into his presence. After everything was hopelessly wrecked by sin. Have you wondered at the fact that death has died through the work of the triune God? Have you wondered, and I keep asking wondered because these things are wonderful, right? They ought to cause us to wonder, right? Not to, not to speculate, that's not how I'm using that word, but to wonder, to, to mull over and rejoice in, you know, the truth of Scripture, the solid truth of Scripture. But, but it's, it's, you know, it's more than just contemplate. That seems so dry. Have you wondered at the fact that one day you will die and your soul will instantly be in the presence of the Father. And your body will remain behind. And your final witness, think of this, your, the final witness you will have, you, the final witness you will have will take place when your soul is separated from your body. The final witness you will have will be your dead body. Your burial, like that of your Savior's, will speak volumes to those who witness it. Right? John saw the death of Jesus and he said, And he who has seen has testified and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may also believe. And though, right, you will tell others of Jesus' death and resurrection, the most powerful witness you may ever have is when you are laid in the ground and your pastor speaks of your hope. Your hope in the resurrection, your hope that God has made us to live with him, hope that God has accepted you in Jesus Christ. Hope that life will never end. Do not be afraid of death. Do not be afraid of the grave. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me, said Jesus. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said, no, we do not. He said, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How do we know the way? And you remember the words of Jesus here. These should just resonate in your mind all the time. And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. It is the body that Jesus took on in the incarnation. It is the body that Jesus dwelled in for 33 years. It is the body that Jesus 
when, that Jesus had when he died for our sins. It is the body of Christ which rose from the dead, right? And it is the body of Christ now that sits to the right hand of the Father where he intercedes for you. The body. Ryle said, it is the body which will rise again. When the last trumpet sounds and reunited to the soul, will live in heaven to all eternity. Surely in the face of such facts as these, we never need suppose that reverence bestowed on the burial of the body is reverence thrown away. You hear what he's saying there? He's like, it's the body that's going to rise again. And so, however we can honor the body, even when the body is dead, is, is right, is appropriate for what's coming. Right? Now, everybody's, you know, everybody burns their bodies today. What is the reason for that? The only reason I've ever been told is it's cheaper. Oh, brothers and sisters, don't let that be the reason that you would desecrate your loved one upon their death. Ask the church for money. Seriously, ask your loved ones for money. Ask me for money so that you may bury your dead and you may follow in the same path that we see happened to Jesus' body. But if, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, that you care about the body and the soul. If you're not a Christian, you care about neither. You, you probably do just care about money. And then you can burn bodies and it's cheaper. But seriously, the most powerful witness all of you Christians in this room may ever have is the one where you are present and not present at. <laughs> where you really are present and not present. It's mind-boggling. You don't have to say a word, but you'll be up in front of people. You won't have to say a word, but God will speak through that. And the care of your loved ones for that body will speak about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Will speak. And when it's laid in the ground as a seed, it will testify that seeds sprout into eternal life. Right? Seeds planted for the resurrection. That self-same body will rise again. And so, this is my plea with you. Let's not be foolish and cremate. This passage of Scripture, this passage of Scripture teaches us that Christians bury their dead as a hymn of praise to Christ and as an honor to our loved ones and as a testimony to the resurrection. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the resurrection of the dead. We thank you that you've given us bodies and souls. 
we thank you that we we have known so many of your blessings through faith in Christ. And we are so grateful that as he went, so we will go too. We will die. And we will rise. Our souls will return to our bodies. We will forever live in your presence. Father, that's our hope. That's what we live for. That is, that is our goal. Meanwhile, you've given us some work to do before we enjoy that eternal Sabbath rest. And I pray that we would be faithful. I pray that we wouldn't use our bodies for evil. But we would use them for good. That we would expend every ounce of our energy in glorifying you and working for your kingdom. And then we'll enjoy citizenship. Father, thank you for your kindness to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.